Some people, uh, actually it seems like a lot of people in America, die in their 20s, but they wait until they're old before they're buried. And it ought not to be. (laughs) I mean, the language of Jesus was of life, right? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He spoke of resurrection, of being born again. Of the, like the language of scripture is pregnant with life. And the American dream lulls us to sleep. But to put it a different way, like when you're young, you think you can conquer anything, right? Did anybody, like when you're young, did you play war? Right? I did, right? We joke that our, my parents free-ranged us. Um, and it wasn't unlike that, by the way. They'd open the door and let us out, and they just knew we'd come home eventually because uh, we'd get hungry. But we'd play war because we could conquer, and we, could, you know, we were just so full of life. And when you're young, you have all these dreams and these things, and then the, the life just happens to you. We live in this Genesis 3 world that sucker punches you. Because somebody died, or something didn't work out, or, or worse, you just got a job and started trying to just survive, and all of a sudden there's a mortgage. By the way, nothing wrong with any of these things, it's just that what happens is, is all of a sudden, all the purpose and the meaning that you had in life, somewhere along the line, drowns and suffocates. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way with it dying because Jesus' invitation, right, according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was an invitation to come and to die. But Romans 12 tells us that the sacrifice that we get to make is a living one. We are resurrected off of the altar of a living sacrifice. And we, among all people, can find the meaning and the purpose that he promised us If you're a Christian and you're bored, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, if you're the enemy, what a great strategy. If you can't, you know, if you can keep you busy, what a great way to distract you. But I believe that the thirst John chapter 4 promised us to be quenched from the Holy Spirit, by the way, is the thirst that Viktor Frankl talked about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago that Frankel was in a concentration camp and he was a psychiatrist. And during those three years before his camp was liberated, he spent time with thousands of people. And he said, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's been around for decades. He wrote it in nine days after being out of the camp. And he said that the one thing that differentiated between those who lived and those who died Keeping in mind, he's not talking about if you were in a gas chamber. He, he didn't, that's not what he was saying. But there were thousands and thousands, millions even, of people who died before they ever got to the gas chamber because they gave up. And he said the one difference between those who lived and those died in those moments was whether or not their life had meaning, whether they had a purpose in their life. And at the core of it, we all know that. And I believe that when Jesus spoke in John chapter 4 of a thirst that would be quenched, Thirst is not an accidental word. You can go three days without water 
and you're dead. Food, you can go up to, do you know this? Like 40 days, like Jesus is fasting for 40 days. You can do that, but not without water, you can't. Without water, you die. And I believe that Jesus promised that that living water that would come from within you was if you being filled with the Spirit would quench your thirst, rise up out of you, and that thirst for meaning, being filled with the Spirit, is being filled with purpose in your life. And that's what we're gonna talk about over this today and even into the summer. And if you've lost your purpose, if you feel like you've been dead and you've not been resurrected into this life that he promised, this is... I have no promise for a symbol fix. I only have the promise of the Holy Spirit and the life that he brings. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us wisdom this morning? And the Lord, I just I pray that you will mess with us, you will wreck us, you will wake us up. For those of us, there's, as long as we're breathing on this side of heaven, there's, it's never too late for resurrection of our spirit and today Lord we pray that that will begin to bubble up inside of us that the living water going into us begins to bubble up inside of us quenching our thirst for meaning and we invite you now Holy Spirit to come and be a part of us in what we do and what we say and who we are in Jesus name we pray amen I'm Darren, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, thank you uh, for being here. We're so grateful. Um, we're just, there's so many great churches. Jesus is doing so much great stuff in this town that I'm just excited that anybody comes here, like because Jesus is here too. But we're so thankful for that and that you're here. Uh, in Romans 12, uh, he asks us and he invites us to offer our lives, verse one, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable unto him. And when that happens, we begin to, it talks about these gifts that we're going to get in Romans 12. But I think it would help if we just for a moment made sure that we understood what gifts he's talking about. Because if, if that, if the spirit coming up inside of us, understanding what the gifts that he's talking about, I think would be very, it was helpful for me uh, to, to understand what they are, because we're going to talk about all of them before the summer is over. But I believe that the, the, the thirst and the reason we're starting right here is that I believe in Romans 12 that these gifts, these charisma, as it's called, inside of you is literally one of the secrets, one of the keys to you waking up and discovering that becomes your meaning in life because you now know why you are here. And it's, we call them personality styles or types, whatever. I think they're supernatural gifts that are put inside of you. But let's really quick look in 1 Corinthians 12 because I think this will help you. He divides up this. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses four through six, he says that there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There's differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago that the reason it can get a little confusing is when I say gifts of the Spirit, am I talking about 1 Corinthians 12? Because the world I grew up in, that's exactly what I was talking about. We're going to take a lap and we're going to heal people. We're going to prophesy in words of wisdom. That's what I would have been talking about. Or am I talking about Ephesians 4, which he says that he gives gifts to the church, and it's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the apest gifts. Or is it Romans 12, right? The prophecy and teaching and giving and mercy and encouraging. Which ones are we talking about? And I think that this passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul just saying, hey, this, it isn't confusing. 
if it's hard, you're making it hard. It's not hard. It's not confusing at all. Because he says that in verse 4, that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The word gifts there is the word charisma, the exact same word used in Romans 12. In verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus speaking of the Son. So at verse 11 of Ephesians 4, so Christ himself, Jesus, gave us the, the apest gifts. And then in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about that there are different kinds of working operations, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work, speaking of the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I think that what he's really saying is really simple, that there are these three separate lists of gifts that have three separate purposes and align with three separate members of the Trinity. Did I lose anybody? Be honest with me. Because I can go back over it. I can go over this all day long if we need to. The reason this is important is if we just focus on one list, we could, we could say, oh, it's all about the, the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Some people will be called to do that, right? That is some things, some people do that. I you know, got the call to become a pastor and I put it to voicemail for about 20 years. <laughs> but that was a calling to do something and it's a role that as it turns out, the music industry was perfect for uh, I was an artist manager. I never, and thank Jesus, I never ever got on the stage for one of my artists and did a duet with him. I represented this group back in the, uh, the 90s named Out of Eden, and we never did an Ebony and Ivory duet. They never invited me to. Um, we, just, we just didn't, because that wasn't, but my gift, if you would, behind the scenes was to encourage them to work, to help them. They had to write the songs. I could get them on a stage, but after that, that was up to them whether they could do the, the gig or not. And so my job was never to do anything but to prepare them to do the work of the ministry. And Ephesians tells us that the work of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher is simply to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. And Amber, I noticed you guys never invited me to write with you. I'm just saying. That's a calling. It's, a, it's a, an assignment, if you will with a very specific role. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the word gifts, if you've got a King James Bible especially, you'll notice it is in italics. In italics because it wasn't in the original language, there was some, a translator just trying to be helpful. It's the word pneumatikos, which the closest we have would be the word operations. Like it's a thing that the Spirit does from time to time. And we'll talk about that in the, in the weeks to come. I personally don't think that it's like you're an X-Men thing where you have the power to heal and so someone's got to come to the arena just so you can show them your power. I think that that gift of healing comes sometimes at the moment that it's needed. And the gift, by the way, isn't for you, the one that's praying. The gift is for the person that received it. You're simply a conduit of an operation of the Spirit. And it'll happen when you need it. And you know when you need it a lot, by the way? Standing in Pakistan and telling them that Allah is not God, but Jesus is. And what's handy, which is what happens for my friend Mark Bowling, seems like all the time, Hey, when someone gets out of a wheelchair, would you give that a shot, Allah? <laughs> Akbar. <laughs> a blind person that sees, and everybody in the village knew they were blind. To put it a different way, when you're on a ground war, sometimes you've got to call in an airstrike. And that happens. 
when you, you, there are a lot of people in America that debate whether these things still happen today or not. And, and the reason is, is I think that sometimes we figured out how to monetize it and we filled up the arenas with it. And I get it why that there's some things, and I don't know that that's, per, I don't think he meant you to do that. But on the other hand, when you, I asked my friend Jerry Rankin a while back, Jerry was the president of the International Mission Board for like a decade. And uh, he, I asked him, hey, what do you guys, like you, were, you spent like 25 years in Indonesia. Are they, are they talking like cessationism there that the spirit stopped moving? Are they debating it over there? And he laughed at me. He's like, nobody's debating it over there. When you see a demon come out of somebody in front of your face, like there's no debate, like that just happened. Nobody debated whether or not that person was healed in that wheelchair or not. Now the questions, of course, are why does he heal sometimes and why does he doesn't other? I, that's a question that, uh, I, one of my first ones, quite frankly. But for sometimes he does and it's amazing when he does. But for today, for Romans 12, he talks about this list of gifts that are the charisma, the supernatural, and it's important, and I want you to hear me say that it's important because it's a supernaturally natural thing inside of you, and he has called you, appointed you before you were born, said, I got a job for you. And if you are out of the game, it's a perfect plan of Satan to say, hey, I'm going to get them out of there. I mean, they're going to lull them to sleep. I'm going to get them. They're going to be sick or something they're going to do, and they're not going to deliver this gift that, I've, that God has put inside of them. And I think that the reason that it's so important, one of the many reasons, a few years ago, I was on a motorcycle in North Togo, Africa. And I'm, look, I'm just like a white kid from Nebraska that was in the music industry who somewhere along the line and got my job and got my thing and, and I, you know, I was just sort of punching the clock, you know? But I was riding this motorcycle into the middle of nowhere. And I mean, there should have been a sign that says entering the middle of. Like it was towards the border of Burkina Faso where there was all kinds of Islamic uprising going on and it wasn't necessarily safe and I didn't tell my wife and I was, you know, we were, but, but I was feeling something that I had not felt since I was a little child. And it was a foreign feeling and it was enough of a foreign feeling that I'm like, I was, huh. I felt unafraid. Not just the absence of fear, I didn't realize it until then that unafraid is actually a thing. Like that it was, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like this is crazy. Audrey's been with me there on a couple other trips. and the, the, Just going by yourself on a motorcycle with a bunch of Africans towards Burkina Faso, not smart. And I was so alive in a way that I hadn't been since I was a child. I took a pastor friend with us to Haiti a few, couple years ago, and he's right here in town. One, honestly, one of the nicest guys that I've met. Just a great guy. And he'd never been nowhere, you know, he'd been. So we, we get to Haiti and we take him up to this place called Baison Bleu. And we don't get to take a lot of teams there because it's not particularly safe. And it involves a rope at one point. Like you have to get on a rope and hoist yourself down into. And, but when you get there, there's this lagoon with this waterfall and it's beautiful and it's incredible. And he jumped off of this waterfall a little higher than I would have recommended a 55-year-old, but he... I'm 46, so I can see it from here. So I'm like, I don't know that that's the best. And he jumps off and he comes up out of the water like sobbing 
which I didn't know you could cry underwater. Now I know that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, he's, he's injured himself. How are we going to get him out of here? Like, <laughs> I'm going to pull him up. Or... And he's screaming, I've never felt this alive. It was tears of joy. Here's why I share that story, because when Jesus said to go, he knew at the core of every one of us was this need for adventure, for risk, for uncertainty. And he knew that life would try to squeeze it out of us. And so he says, go, and at the very core of what he asks us and commands us to do is baked in the very thing that we needed anyway, which is risk and adventure. And you get to see some awesome things along the way. How awesome is God that he would do that? And I went there thinking I was going there to help these people. And I realized on that motorcycle that day that Jesus didn't send me to Africa just because he loved Africans. He sent me there because he loved me. I remember having that conversation with Aj in India. She had just moved to India. And we're, were they called tuk-tuks there? What are they called? The little moto things? I don't even remember what they're called. Tuk-tuks or something. Yeah, <laughs> represent India. But having that conversation that I don't think that God sent Audrey here because he loved Indians. He sent him there because he loved Aj. Because there's something that only, she could only get by being pushed outside of her comfort zone. Pushed outside of what she thought she could do. And on the other side of that fear, and think about it right now in your mind, and your heart, what is the fear that you're most afraid of? I wonder if right on the other side of that fear is this amazing thing, this gift that God wants to give you. It doesn't mean going to India. Someone asked me, uh, my friend Jamie George, I don't know if any of you guys know Jamie. By the, it's Jamie's fault that I'm a pastor, by the way, so if you have any complaints, you can take them up with him. I'll give him his cell phone number. But Jamie asked me seven years ago with Conduit the right question, which is, well, does that mean if you're gonna be a part of Conduit that you have to have a passport? And you would be forgiven on Sunday morning for reading that, well, yeah, that sounds like you need a passport to find Jesus and to find meaning and experience. Took me a while to be able to answer the question that isn't that you need a passport to be a part of us. In fact, you don't, we don't even have membership for crying out loud. Like you don't have to have any paperwork. The question I don't think is do you need to have a passport? What I hope that you get though to be a part of Conduit is not a passport but a purpose. That you wake up inside of the purpose that you've had inside of you. The art that you've wanted to create but you've let life take away from you the gift of administration that God put inside of you and you've smothered it because you just felt so embarrassed by it because I don't want to be the uptight one at the party. So you've just smothered this thing and I pray that the Holy Spirit, that you are filled with the Spirit and from that Spirit comes a sense of purpose. Purpose, by the way, that you can't get any other way because if it's just about serving and sacrificing, which there it is, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. We talked about that, that that's part of it, that when you sacrifice that you have meaning in your life. But if I'm sacrificing only for somebody else, then eventually I'll burn myself out. I'll run out of steam. I'll be empty of it and they won't be, because they won't be grateful or they won't. But when the spirit is rising up inside of me, then when the spirit says to go and I go, then I give what I have to give and then the Spirit says pull back when it's time to pull back. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time by himself praying? He was being filled with the Spirit. He walked by sick people for 30 years. Let that sink in before the Spirit told him to do anything. 
If you don't have the spirit, you'll drown in the need. If you don't have the spirit, you'll suffocate in the prosperity. But with the spirit rising up, you're just saying, what does he, he say? I'll write my will on your hearts and on your minds. So when he says to go here, you'll go here. When he says to go there, I'll go there. I gotta tell you, someone asked me again, what do you, what's the five-year plan with conduit? And I gotta tell you, the plan for conduit is we're just gonna do the next thing Jesus tells us to do. Because I mean, five years ago, if I'd have told you the plan, it wasn't this good. I suck at plans. <laughs> but I'm getting better at obedience. Like I look around the room and, I mean, we have room today, but that's because we sent 30 kids to, and, and adults to Guatemala today. That's why we got room. Second service. That's the way we're making room. We're sending people out. I don't know what we're going to do. I, don't know, I know what we're not going to do. We're not going to be putting a, a thermometer on the wall and then, you know, milk you guys <laughs> for everything dime you got. I don't know what we're going to do. I just know we're not going to do that. And whatever the Spirit says, we're going to do. And I feel that that's good enough at this point. I don't think he gave us the land just to look at. It's nice. But when he tells us, we'll know. And when he tells us, we'll have the provision. We're just going to do the next thing that Jesus tells us. And I ask you today, what's the next thing that Jesus told you to do? And I think if you look back to these, these Romans 12 gifts here, that it's going to include this. Because at the core of who you are, before you were born, I had a job for you. I mean, that's a, before you were born. And he says, one of those gifts that I've hardwired into you for one person in here, maybe 10 people, is this gift of prophecy, which parenthetically is different from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and it's different from Ephesians 4. This gift is really the prophetic gift of being able to see into the future something no one else can see and willing it into existence. A lot of you have been working at Place of Hope the last couple of weeks, months, it seems like. 20 years ago, a guy named Mike Coop, who's crazier than a loon, looked at that building and said, I see a place of hope where people can come and get help. He, I, I, you know what I saw? Hey, there's no air conditioning in this building. How about that, boss? Let's start with that. It's like getting rehab in somebody's mouth. You're just oh, sweating out the, the toxins all day long. That's crazy, but that's what God showed him, and nobody else saw it, but he sure did. And long before they had air conditioning, people would go there and find hope. You guys know country uh, star Marty Stewart? Anybody know Marty? This scarf and the whole thing. Marty had one of his moments on TV where, if you might remember the mug shot, where he had had like his 28th DUI or something. And, and he, uh, one of his friends said, hey, look, Marty, I know a place. Now, it's a bleep hole, but it's God's bleep hole. That's a quote. Marty is 10 or 11 years sober to this day. He got to the end of his treatment. He'd paid for lots of treatment. He'd paid for really nice treatment, the kind where they come and somebody waves, like fans you. and that. This is none of that. But he walked out of there and he said, I don't, what do I do, Brother Mike? What do you, and Mike said, well, I don't know, Marty. Why don't you do what Jesus said? Just do, go and sin no more. But he had somebody with a gift of prophecy saw that and made it happen. Now, the thing is, is when you got the gift of prophecy, you know what you're going to do? You're going to hurt people's feelings because you don't care what they think. Because if you cared what they thought, 
Mike would have got back in his old beater truck and went back and got a job. So he needs somebody beside him with the gift of mercy, (laughs) with the gift of encouraging. And we're going to talk as these days go on as to what this looks like. Because in every one of these gifts, there's this amazing gift that you can deliver that the world desperately needs. But it also has a weakness to it. There's this downside that I've... Somebody with the gift of encouragement can literally give so much that they have nothing left for themselves. Discovering what that gift is in you. For me, it was this gift of teaching. I got to go into the middle of nowhere, Africa and wherever around the world, Medford, Oregon, talk about the middle of nowhere, and, and, and teach. And by the way, teaching doesn't mean you're smart. It's almost the opposite of that. It just means I was so rabidly curious that I couldn't let it go. Like, I, why does, that doesn't make any sense. Why does that not make? Well, there's like three lists. That doesn't make any sense. I got to make it make sense. So it's not that I'm so smart. It's the, kind of the opposite of that. And that if I can make it understandable for me, it'll be understandable for anybody. That's a gift. And when I try to get in the other lane and deliver a gift, because by the way, that wasn't a very cool gift to me. I hated the way that sounded to me. Because when I think teacher, I think boring. I think you know, at one point I kind of went for the pipe and the, uh, the, sh- the elbow patches on the tweed jacket. That sounded kind of cool. But other than that, teacher didn't sound interesting to me at all. But by the way, one of the, one of the secrets I think to when you're getting close to what your gift is, is if you hate it. If it makes you, th- oh, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit. Because <laughs> you know one of the things that's, that I hate about me is I can get so caught up in things that are so fascinating, that just because it's fascinating to me doesn't mean it's to you, or frankly to most people. So I can get all caught up in the clouds. They've, they've given me an, uh, an Indian name here at Conduit. It's called Chief Soaring Eagle Neverlands. Because <laughs> at some point, I got to just say, okay, this is actually what we're doing. Because that was really fun for a little bit while everybody's being fascinated, but now we got to... The reason writing a sermon is so exhausting for me is that I got to, I mean, I'll have like 23, 30 pages and I got to somehow narrow it down and figure out what's interesting and what's not. It's not intuitive to me what's going to be interesting to you. I hate that about, but when I recognized it and become self-aware of it, one of the one traits, by the way, of CEOs around America, they found this one trait that was among all of them that were the most successful. The one single trait that all of them had was self awareness. What does Romans 12 tell us? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. The biblical definition of humility, just look in the mirror and believe the truth about yourself. This is who you are. And what I wanted to bring to you this morning was this idea that there's this gift inside of you. He calls it this treasure in a jars of clay that you have inside of you that he wants to deliver to this world. And through imperfect and cracked pots just like you and just like me. And once we release that and step into it, and by the way, it takes work. So the work of Chris and Lisa Roman is literally people finding freedom through this journey training that they have, that you go through it and you figure out what it is that's holding you back and, and fight for your freedom. Because let me tell you what, you know who's fighting against your freedom? Satan. He woke up this morning with one thing on his mind, killing you crushing you, stealing from you, destroying you. And you know what's amazing is when you take a step back and say, I'm going to take this crazy step that the Holy Spirit told me to take, 
And when I get there, I'm just going to deliver the gift that I have to deliver. This amazing thing. It's not that it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, sleeping in the, you know, in hammocks in Africa, uh, that's fun for like the first 13 minutes. And then I'm done. <laughs> but watching someone's mind come alive for the first time when they understand, oh, that's what that meant. That makes me come alive. My wife, the gift that she has is what we would, uh, on this list, would be the gift of serving, which is such a benign word. It's really the gift of getting stuff done. And if you've been around her, she is literally a force of nature. Right? Isn't that awesome? Um, and if you're sitting in this room today, you know that she, I don't know if you've been around long enough to remember what this place looked like before. It had a good nursing home feel to it. Uh, with the smell of a junior high locker room. <laughs> Without the Axe body spray, it just smelled like... But Shannon has been down at Place of Hope for the past couple months now. And uh, tell us, Shannon, if you will... By the way, this is the most terrifying thing. So on the other side of your fear of this is amazing things. Is God's provision... So she's been down there. We've been doing uh, delivering the, your gift of administration... I should have brought a floor plan. It's honestly, when you look at it on a floor plan, it's like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Tell me about Marcy, though. Uh, Marcy is one of the girls that has only been there two weeks now, and she's a a mom of twin girls that are seven and a boy that's 13, and she's literally lost everything through addiction. And she lives right in Columbia. And I tell you, it's been such a privilege to be able to get to know these people. Um, I'm a little raw because it's been, it's been tough. And that's one thing I, I think I want to say, that there is such freedom in knowing what your gifts are, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges too. Um, but something about knowing your gift is that it energizes you. And even though it's been ch- the biggest challenge... Yeah, she's used I've, her emergency language at least three times. <laughs> And she doesn't do that. <laughs> no, but God is, he's stretching me in so many ways and preparing me for so many things that I didn't think was possible. But along the way, getting to bring hope to these women that are there blows my mind. And Marcy, it's giving her hope to be able to have purpose through getting her healing in this place and being able to have an opportunity to work side by side and to... She's been my my little apprentice (laughs) and sister, but she's discovering Jesus for the first time. With her kids been in school with Dolores' son, like she knows, but addiction and trials through her life has just set her off path, but now she's finding hope in this place, and it's just been awesome. So when we first started this church... um, I was scared to let her uh, do much because I because pa- the pastor's wife job is probably like uh, the worst job because there's no job. It's like there's no description. There are, actually, Everything's there. your job. Yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the truth. I mean, that's part of the fear is that every like every one of us come in. There's a different expectation for the pastor's wife. Well, she needs to lead the women's ministry. She mm-hmm. needs to do this. She needs to shut up. She needs to play piano. She needs what? So I was like, <laughs> but, but you know. So I thought, well, I'll tell you what will be great is I just won't expose her to anything, and I'll protect her from that. And what I was really doing was suffocating her and the need that she had. And so the moment, I mean, you guys remember those $10 chairs 
that we used to sit in, how demonic they were. <laughs> and I'm up here just arrogant. And, oh, no, we're going to sit in these $10 chairs. And if you, Anyway, it was Shannon's administrative gift that finally poked through and said, no, we, this, this, is, this is disgusting. Um, I didn't use those words. No, but, yeah. but that's what she was saying. <laughs> it's my spiritual gift of figuring it out. Um, <laughs> but because of that, then the administration happened here. And, and because when you knock down walls and paint, it requires somebody to get in the middle of that and administrate the whole thing. And uh, that's what you've done here. And what happens is, is that other people then get to step into their gifts mm -hmm. and callings as well. So it's not just you going and bossing people around and getting stuff done. You are literally being a, a, a conduit of the gift and the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to those people, to Marcy. Yeah. So I'm very proud of you. Thank you. And she stood up here in front of people and talked. <laughs> and Joey, come down here. Because one of the things that's important to know is that it's not a talent. I'm not talking about a talent. A, about three years ago, a guy named Brian Redmond had a heart incident in our uh, high school. And he literally coded. I mean, it was a terrifying moment for all of us. I mean, yeah, you were there. Nurses were there. But Michelle, he, if you're going to have a heart incident, this is not Joey. He did not have the heart incident, by the way. i got a better story. For you. But my point is that Michelle that day, uh, Michelle Anderson, who was the cardiac nurse who happened to be sitting right behind him, if you're going to have a heart incident, no better place. Her skill was med medicine, but her talent, her, her administration, let me phrase that. Her skill was uh, heart medicine, her gift was leadership. Because there's a moment where David Christopher, who, by the way, doing chest compressions, if you're going to have a heart incident, not a bad guy to have either. And he's like, no, I can keep going, I can keep going. And she goes, and I heard her go, David, I'm not asking. She just took control of the situation. She gave a gift of leadership using the skill of, of medicine. What Joey's skill is, is painting, okay? Like commercial painting, residential painting, that's his skill, but he's been down painting at Place of Hope for uh, a month now. I'm, I'm talking like yeah, I need a couple, that. couple no. months. Okay. She has used her emergency language on me. I've only cried twice. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I love Shannon. Shannon is seriously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That was right before she decked him. Medicine. No. That was right before Shannon, she decked him. Shannon is amazing. Um, I don't know seriously how any of this would get done without her. Um, but for me, I mean, yeah, the painting is awesome. You Actually, the shot of Shannon was literally uh, the walls are peeling off. <laughs> In some areas, the paint is peeling off. Um, it's very... Uh, <laughs> It is is like you're stepping into a nightmare. Honestly, it looks like a whorehouse in some areas. Um, so it's horror. <laughs> horror, horror. Sorry, it's my southern draw. I just needed to make sure. <laughs> wow. Because I get okay. the email of it, you know. <laughs> so. This horror house, um, it, it has been a challenge because I can't just paint. And Shannon and I are finding this out very fast. It's oil-based paint. You have to use latex. There's a ton of scraping involved. Brandon and Jennifer Bush um, and Christian helped scrape. And that was literally two days, I think, of just scraping in one room. So it sounds easy to get in and slap on some paint, but... 
it's way more involved than that. Um, but for me, spiritually, it's, um, it's, been a, it's just wrecked me completely. Uh, I have a cousin um, that has been locked away for over 10 years now. Uh, for meth addiction, he was distributing it. So for me, uh, being there, I sort of wrote my cousin off. Um, you'll eventually figure this out. Jail's going to straighten you out. That shows my ignorance. Um, you'll go through a program that'll straighten you out. Yet again, showing my ignorance. Um, because I've heard guy after guy in this place say, we've already been through five or six programs but this place is the first place that has brought Jesus. And that's what's been the change. And I honestly, Darren, I stood back. Um, I sat with one of the guys and realized this, this could easily be me. One of the guys um, was going through a divorce that led him into meth, amphetamines. Uh, the guy that I was eating with, his father and his sister introduced him to heroin. Um, the list goes on and on and on, and it's just seeing them right. through Jesus' eyes. And I you're mean, bringing them encouragement and yeah. mercy. I, I don't even know what like spiritual gift resonates with you, but I would say that painting was just the highway on which that gift travels. It just gave you an audience to deliver your gift to. And I want to thank you for that. I know that there's life coming to the people from it. And I know you're not even anywhere near done painting down there. But, you know, again, I don't think that Jesus sent you to Columbia just to paint. I think it sent it because he loves you and wants to put you in a place where now you can just overflow with that to others. So would you give Joey a hand? Now, look, we don't have much time. But if I did, I would tell you about Melissa going to Zimbabwe to deliver the gift that God put in her heart. She, she's leaving in a couple weeks, and we're still about 20,000 short. But she's going obediently and delivering the gift that God has given her, which is so much more than money or so much more than a house. Dolores, who works at Place of Hope, uh, my mother-in-law, Bonnie, is about to move back in there again to be a source of hope, as a, almost like a mom that is a mom to these young men that need it. I, I'm, in your life right now, I, could, I literally could go around this room and point out multiple people that are doing that. Tammy, what you do, the work you're doing to encourage others, there's a gift called encouragement, that that's something that's inside of us. And an enemy would love nothing more than for you to not deliver that, to, to shut you up and to sideline you. And the last thing that is on my heart is that this conduit that you are of this gift that God has put inside of you, that the Holy Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit as water, goes into you and fills you up. And Paul talks about the sacrifice. We referred to this a couple weeks ago, the drink offering. That at the end of his life, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. His whole life was about being poured out. And the only way you can continue to be poured out is to continue to be filled. That's why he said in Ephesians 5, 18, be always being filled with the Spirit. Because Paul had seasons where he was out preaching. By the way, there were seasons where Paul got in the desert and didn't preach to anybody. The Holy Spirit allows you to recognize the season that you're in. Some of you mamas with your young babies, that's your season. 
You can't go get on a motorcycle and run to Africa because you've got right in front of you is the season you're in and the Holy Spirit allows you to recognize the season, to accept the season, and to see when the season is changing. See, I was an artist manager. That was the season that I was in and he changed seasons on me. And I'm in this new one. But what did Solomon say? For everything there is a season. And the Holy Spirit going in is the water of the Spirit and it bubbles up over. And then Paul talks about at the end of his life that he was already being poured out as a drink offering. And remember the drink offering was about when in the Old Testament they would take this glass of wine, a gallon of it actually, because God needs a big glass of wine. And they would take this gallon of wine and they would pour it on the sacrifice. Symbolic of at the celebration, wine speaking of joy, that that was God's drink, his celebration at the wedding feast. Remember, there's, whenever you've been to a wedding, there's a toast. The toast is to the groom. What was Jesus' first miracle? In John chapter four, in, the, in Cana, he came to a wedding and, and they were out of wine. And it wasn't grape juice. And he said what? Go fill up these earthen vessels with water. And I'll turn it into wine. (laughs) At the end of your life, the Holy Spirit coming in, it bubbles up over the top and turns into wine of the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb. And in the cup of wine on that day is your life being raised to the King as a celebration. You, listen, bring joy to your heavenly Father. A toast to the groom, but it's for our Father. I wonder if, in James Chapter one, when he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Romans 12, humble yourselves, sacrifice, give it up. Just say, I don't care anymore. I'm praying that whatever you want from me, God. It's called the I don't care prayer. I don't care. At this point, whatever you want me to do, God. If it is to be the mother of these children, I'll do it. If it's to pastor this church, I'll do it. I don't care. Offer yourselves as not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And he says, if you will humble yourselves, James chapter one, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. A toast to the groom. Your life in the cup, bringing joy to a heavenly father. That is a picture that ought to bring you joy and your life meaning because the only eyes in the universe that matter, the eyes of our heavenly father, he looks on you and he says, you're good enough. You're good enough, I'll send my son. I love you enough that I'll I'll do anything. I'll seek, I'll punch through the time space continuum just to get you. He looks at you and says that and then your life as it goes on, the sacrifices you didn't see, the pain and the suffering and all the, it's, because by the way, wine is made through a lot of pressing, isn't it? A lot of crushing, but on the other side, a drink, a toast to you. Would you stand with me? I bet in this room, there are a lot of, 
people that maybe don't know your gift yet and what he's called you to deliver. You don't know yet, and that's okay. What's not okay is to not do the work to find it, to not do the battle. Jesus told them to go fill the thing with water. There's an effort that we put in on this to figure out who it is. We're going to be talking about some things that you can do that, that, that I've done. That, the beauty is that I can't just give you the recipe and say, do it, any more than I could say, just paint the walls white and just how many colors of white are there? It turns out like a thousand. <laughs> like watching my wife choose paint colors. It's just white. No, it's not. There's a whole array. But that's, there's beauty in that because in you there is no other color except for the one that he wants to paint you. You are the one that he wants to use to paint. So to find that, who you are, and then to fight for your freedom. Because you have an enemy that wants to fight you, to keep it, to shut you up, to sideline you, to fight for your freedom. Because on the other side of that fear, you become an existential threat to the kingdom of darkness. And I can think of no better way to grow old. Not about putting butts in the seats, but boots on the ground. Us going into the kingdom here. Us moving out and doing. We have 29 people in Guatemala right now from this church who are boots on the ground, who are going to deliver the gift that God put inside of them. Melissa leaves next week. We're going to pray for her. She's going to Zimbabwe. I could go on and on about the people right now in front of us, and I know that some of you even in here, but my point is just let's this week begin to look and figure out where that fear is in our hearts push through it to the other side, fight for your freedom, and go deliver that gift that God has in front of you. And if it's a season of, 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 of uh, finding the gift and you don't want to run out yet, that's fine. If it's a season of you've been sitting on the bench long enough, it's time to get back in the game. I can't tell you that, but you know who can? The Holy Spirit. Be always being filled with the Spirit this week and go and deliver the gift in front of you. Jesus, would you give us wisdom as to what that means for each of us individually? Lord, I pray that your uh, spirit would be alive inside of us. And that it would rise up inside of us. And for the wine of the word, uh, the, the wine of your spirit to be coming inside of us and coming out of us, to knowing that we're bringing pleasure to you, what great meaning that brings to our life today. Thank you so much for that. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus, because of you that now we ourselves become vessels that carry this amazing treasure. Thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go and deliver your gifts this week. Figure out what they are and seek him. Be filled with the spirit. I love you.